through the years, I have just accepted the fact that it feels to me like my career does progress slowly, but it is moving in the right direction. (laughs) And the thing that you never know is how long other people have been struggling and feeling that same way before they got the success that you actually see. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, this is Brie Noble, and I am so glad that you're tuned in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Show, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. I cannot wait to share this interview with you today with Katherine Mahler. It's not just because she's a great musician, she's a wonderful person, she's talented, and she's very driven. But it's also because she is my student. She is an Academy member and she works with me in my accountability mastermind where we get together once a month and go over her goals. And she just amazes me with how hard she works all the time, how focused she is and, you know, what has really come in the last six months that I have been working with her. So I can't wait for you guys to hear all about what she is doing to actually live the life of a full-time musician. And she gives you a lot of great tips on how you can actually make that happen too. So here's some information about Katherine Mahler. Katherine Mahler is an active performer and teacher in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. Just having released her fifth CD, her music brings together the Highlands of Scotland, the lush greens of Ireland, and the majesty of the St. John River. With ever-rising popularity, this three-time Music New Brunswick Award winner and East Coast Music Award nominee shows that without a doubt, she is truly the master of four strings and a bow. Here is my interview with Katherine Mahler. So that is a little bit about Katherine Mahler. So Katherine, is there anything about you that is maybe unique or interesting Uh, Something that our listeners need to know about you that's not in your bio. Hmm. Well, um, the thing that that is really unique about me musically is just the variety of music that I play. So the fact that I play classical music with Symphony New Brunswick. I'm quite involved in early music and music written between like 1600 and 1750. And I I actually have a violin from that period that I play. Uh, and so we try to be as historically accurate as possible. And then I have my Celtic full world. So that's a fairly broad range of different kinds of music that I play. Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Definitely about you. And I, I love that you play a period instrument. Those are so neat to watch. It is very, very cool. So how did you get started in music? Well, I started playing the violin when I was six. There was a program offered at my school where someone came in and taught violin. My dad played the violin. He was an amateur musician. 
And so he played the violin at home and I wanted to play as well. And I took lessons all through school, all through growing up and I played in local orchestras and really never gave it a thought as something that I would do professionally until I was in grade 12. And so my plan was to become a scientist. Uh, in grade 12, I was sitting in music class one day and I thought, you know, I think I could do this. <laughs> and so I applied to McGill University to study music and figured that if I wanted to go into science, I could always do that later, but I might as well give music a try now. And, and that was that. That's so interesting because usually people think like I should choose the, the practical path now. And if I want to go into music, I can always do that later. But you did the opposite. Yes. <laughs> Very brave of you, I think. Well, it just, it made more sense to me because if you started studying science, you'd set your music aside and then it would be less of an option the longer time went on. I think that's very true. I, I, I chose to do both, which was kind of probably crazy because I didn't want to give up either one of them. But yeah, I mean, it's true that like music kind of gets stale much faster. It's harder to, to build up those, those chops again. When you Absolutely. Do so what prompted you to expand from just the classical world into the world of Celtic fiddling? My brother played the bagpipes. Oh, wow. <laughs> we spent much of our summers going around to different uh, Scottish events, different Highland games. And so when I was in middle school, I heard Natalie McMaster and Ashland Kaisek, who are both very well-known Canadian fiddlers from Cape Breton. And I heard them play, and I really fell in love with it. Uh, my dad also played some fiddle music around the house. He played more New England-style fiddle. He grew up in New England uh, in the U.S., so he played more that style and played for square dances when he was growing up. Um, but the Cape Breton style is what really spoke to in the fiddle world. Mm. And so after having gone, um, well, after having heard them, I decided that that was something that I was really interested in doing. But you continued doing the classical, so you kind of did them both together. Yes, absolutely. I, uh, I think that's very smart because as musicians, we always need to diversify because we're trying to find, you know, lots of different streams of income and that means you could tap into different audiences. Right. So, you know, I saw that you got this grant to go over to Ireland and learn how to play fiddle with like, you know, I don't know much about the fiddle world. So I'm assuming it's some, you know, a really great fiddle teacher over there. What gave you the idea to, to even seek a grant for that? And, you know, having gone through that process, do you have any advice to offer musicians in getting grants or looking for grants? It was... I got the idea from someone that I was playing in jam sessions with. I was living in Montreal and there's a very strong Irish community there and a very strong pub scene with Irish music. And so every week I was going to a traditional Irish music session. And one of the people at the session mentioned that she was planning on going to Ireland and she was looking into grants. And I thought, hey, I want to do that. <laughs> And so I applied to the Canada Council for the Arts to get a grant. And the thing that I really uh, used as my 
my selling point was that it was a cultural exchange and I was going to take our style of fiddling over there and I was going to learn about their style of fiddling. And this idea of a cultural exchange is what I really used as far as a selling point for getting a grant to go over. So uh, the big thing, you know, as far as writing grants and, and applying for grants is to figure out what it is that that granting agency is interested in. Mm. And if you can figure out what it is that they're interested in and what their, what their goal is, and then you can word your project around their goal, uh, then that always helps your, uh, the chance of you actually getting the grant. Good point. Yeah, you, you created kind of what I think of as a hook for what you, know, you were doing based upon what they were looking to do. And I'm, I'm just so impressed that Canada has all these grants. Like, I don't think the U.S. has nearly as many, or if they're there, they're very hidden. Mm -hmm. I think you guys are really lucky on that score. And I see a lot of Canadian artists getting grants. So if you're a Canadian artist, like, go for it. Absolutely. So we have a lot of struggling musicians that listen to this show. And I know, you know, many of them have experienced, you know, times where they're like, maybe I should just give up. This is not working. I feel like I'm banging my head against the wall. So I'd love to know if you had times like that and do you have any stories that you can tell, you know, of going through a period like that and how you pulled yourself out of it and what you learned? Absolutely. So I started my music career really in 2001, 2002. That's I graduated from university in 2001. I moved back home after being in Ireland in 2002. And I entered the music world here at that point with the knowledge that it would take me at least five years to establish myself and really manage to uh, make things work. And so I worked day jobs. My day jobs were mostly related to music, but I did that for a while. And continue to do my music on the side, but I always had this, this thought in my mind that I really couldn't count on music for five years, that it would take me that long to build up what I wanted to do. And then I was able to quit all of my day jobs, um, and I have not worked a regular day job since 2005, mm. so it's been over 12 years now that I haven't worked a day job. But having said that, I still... Uh, I started the online process of my music career in 2012 and I would look at other musicians who were doing it and I would say, why is it working for them? Why, why is my career moving so slowly? Why am I progressing so slowly? And through the years, I have just accepted the fact that it feels to me like my career does progress slowly, but it is moving in the right direction. <laughs> and the thing that you never know is how long other people have been struggling and feeling that same way before they got the success that you actually see. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody, pretty much everybody I talk to on this show, I ask this question and there's not one person that says, nope, I never struggled. I was always successful. <laughs> I never had a point where I thought, this isn't worth it. I don't want to do this anymore. But I certainly have looked at other artists and thought, you know, what is it? What, what is it that I'm doing wrong? Is it me? Is it, 
you know, the style of music that I want to play, what, what is it? And I think a lot of it is really that you see other musicians when they're successful. You don't see other musicians when they're struggling and putting in all of the groundwork that, that we all have to go through. Mm, such a good point. Yep. It's the world of social media where we, all, we see all the good and none of the bad and nobody publicizes when things suck. Absolutely. So on the flip side of that, what has been like one of the most mind-blowing moments for you? Like, has there been a time where you're like, oh my gosh, pinch me. I can't believe I'm doing this or I'm on this stage or I'm talking to this person or, you know, something like that that really stands out for you? The big thing has been the most recent CD that I've released. I've released five CDs and the most recent one was just in June of this year, June of 2017. And 2017 in general has been the year where I feel like things are coming together. Mm. I feel like all the time that I've spent on social media is amounting to something. I feel like all of this groundwork, all of the effort that I've put in is finally starting to make a difference. Which let me point out is perfect in your five-year plan since you started out online in 2012. I was thinking about that earlier. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so my CD for this one, we really decided to go with something bigger. My first four CDs were all very traditional with fiddle, guitar, bass, uh, only a few instruments. They were all arrangements that I'd put together, mostly of traditional tunes with maybe some originals. And at this point, my music has been developing and I've been writing more of my own material and in my shows I've been playing a lot more of my own material and it's been going over really well but I didn't feel like I had any recordings that were representative of what I'm doing and that can be a challenge when you're applying to showcases if you don't have anything that is actually representative of what you're doing right now Mm. so I'm proud of those former CDs but they're not they're not what I'm trying to sell at the moment when I'm trying to get into showcases to be able to go to festivals. I wanted to record something that was more representative of what I'm doing now. And I wanted to record my original music. So I went from most of the traditional music to recording a CD of all original music. And I worked with a producer and an arranger, and that was an amazing experience because they wanted to put my music together in ways that I never even would have considered uh, and came up with a really good product in the end. Um, and then the CD launch, I orchestrated the arrangements that they did on, on the recording. So I orchestrated them, and I had a 16-piece orchestra backing me up. And I had Irish dancers and I had my four-piece band. And it was just an absolutely incredible show at one of our, well, the big local venue where we do, where any of the big professional artists come perform. And so I had really expected to be very nervous. And I was a little concerned, honestly, about having my orchestra colleagues because I played with Symphony New Brunswick and they were the people backing me up in the orchestra. And so I was a little nervous about having them play my original music because I've always kept my worlds very separate. 
And mm. I have my classical world and I have my Celtic world and I have my Baroque world and they're three separate things that don't intersect. And so I was very nervous beforehand about having my colleagues play the music. And once I got to the show, once it was time to actually step on stage, it was absolutely incredible and there were no nerves and it was just amazing. It was an amazing night. Mm. And it's the only show that I've done of that scope. Wow. So how many people were at that show? There were like 160 people. That's great. And I mean, it just sounds, I wish I could have been there. It sounds awesome. I mean, with all the orchestration and Irish dancers. Wow. I mean, so I would love to know, because I know that, you know, I was really impressed when I heard, you know, how you orchestrated this whole show um, and, you know, basically did all the grassroots work to get all those people there. Um, you know, how, what do you think was the most successful tactic that you used to get people to come to your show? Do you think people on your email list came or were they all new fans? Were they, you know, from social media or people that heard you on the, you know, doing radio interviews? What do you think? Or is it a combination of all those things? I really feel like it's a combination. Uh, I know my demographic pretty well. And I know my demographic tends to listen to CBC, which is kind of the Canadian version of PBS. Right. Uh, And so that's kind of my demographic. So I talk to all of the local uh, CBC shows. And through these years, I've been developing relationships with all of these people. And uh, so I was able to call them up and say, here's what I'm doing. And can I come in and talk to you about it? And uh, I also talked to a local country show because there's a certain crossover between my fiddle music and the country audience. Uh, so I feel very confident that the radio interviews definitely helped. I did some newspaper interviews as well, and I got an amazing article in the local newspaper with a picture that was half the size of of the front page of a section. It was right on the front page of a section above the fold. And really that's, that's incredible advertising right there. And then I did some paid advertising through Facebook ads and I was talking to people afterwards and, and what made me know that all of the effort I put into advertising was working was that they said, you know, every time I turned around, there you were. Mm, Yep. And so having done all of those things, I feel like really helped. I think any one of them, um, if I'd missed any one of them, I feel like definitely there would have been fewer people. And you were doing this all yourself, right? You did all the work getting the newspaper, you know, interviews and all that stuff. Yes, I did. Wow. And did you feel like that was kind of a full-time job for a month? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So it's basically like you can hire a publicist or you can do it yourself and, you know, basically pay yourself for doing it instead of paying somewhere someone else. Right. But you're keeping all those relationships, right? Versus hiring that out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think, I personally think that's the way to do it. I know it's intimidating for musicians, but it, it's a really, it's a really good way to develop relationships for future times when you want to hit those people up. So I'm curious, you mentioned Facebook ads. How, how did that play? I mean, you said you invited people to the event. How does it play a role in general in building your fan base 
how do you use Facebook ads and, you know, what has been kind of the most successful ways of using them in your business? And do you feel like you're reaching people that would never find you otherwise? So with the Facebook ads for the event, I feel like those were definitely successful. Uh, and those were obviously targeted towards my area, towards people who would actually come to the event. But I do also use Facebook ads to try to increase my mailing list. And I've had a lot of success with that. I started doing that last August and I've had quite a bit of success. I actually just stopped my current ad because the price of conversions was getting too high. Mm. So I'm going Oh, to- after a year. I think, I think we can accept that. That's pretty, I don't think I've had any ad that's run that long. <laughs> I think about three months for me is usually the the course. So I'm pretty impressed with that. I was shocked at how well it was doing. And I was asking around and finding out if I should change my image or change my copy or what I should do. And and my conversions were so cheap that it just wasn't worth changing anything. Mm. Uh, So now it's time for me, though, to rejig and try something new. And, And I'm really excited. I've been doing a lot of Facebook Live videos. And so I'm really excited now to start combining the Facebook Live videos and Facebook ads and seeing how I can use that to build my following. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to seeing how that works for you too, because that's a huge strategy for me. And it's, it's what I recommend to a lot of people, at least right now, being that Facebook Live is, is doing so well. And you've already got a Facebook Live show, so that works great for you. Yes, absolutely. So I want to hear um, a little bit about your crowdfunding campaign because I, you know, we talked through your crowdfunding campaign as you were doing it. And I know that you followed um, Ariel Hyatt's book because I recommended it. And, you know, it's such a great resource. How did you feel it went? Like what percentage of your CD were you asking for? And, you know, how, how did people respond? I know that you, you at least made your goal, if not went over. Yes. The crowdfunding was amazing. Yet again, that that was another full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) And the next time that I do crowdfunding, I definitely will change some things. Uh, But the response was amazing. And one of the things that really amazed me was I, I specifically put in donation levels where people didn't get an extra perk. So anyone who donated $10 or more got a a digital copy of the CD. But there were a lot of people who were donating $20, $50 and not wanting any other perk. Mm. And so I purposely put in levels like that because I know I have wanted to contribute to crowdfunding campaigns before and I just haven't wanted to get more stuff. You know, I have lots of stuff already and I'm happy to support a musician without them having to put something in the mail to send it to me. And uh, so I put that into my campaign because I know as someone who supports other people that that's something that I look for. Uh, So that was amazing to me though, how many people took me up on that offer because I thought, oh, you know, one or two people will maybe donate without wanting anything in return. But there were many people who did. And it also amazes me the number of people who donated who I don't know. 
But like there are a certain number of people who donate who were high school friends of mine or people that I went to university with or, you know, at least people that I've met in real life. Right. <laughs> but then there was a large percentage of people who donated who are on my mailing list or who saw it through Facebook, um, but are not people that I have actually met. And that was one of the points that made me go, huh. So I guess all the social media stuff really is working. <laughs> because these are people who never would have heard of me otherwise. That is so true. Do you think many of the, them might have found you through your live show or just your Facebook ads? I think a mix. Uh, I definitely have seen an increase in my Facebook likes since I started doing the live shows. I always encourage my current fans to share those videos and they do. And so I've noticed a, an increase in the number of likes. And then I've also noticed an increase in the interactions that I get on my Facebook page. So I'm sure that that helped. I'm not sure directly how many people came directly, you know, saw the right. video, like the page and then supported the, the campaign. Yeah, I think sometimes with social media, we just have to trust the trend. Like sometimes, you know, when you do Facebook ads, you can track, like you were saying, I can track my conversions. I know how much they're costing me. But some of it is a little, you know, it's a little more like branding focused or awareness. And, you know, a live show is kind of like that. If people don't necessarily click on your link, but they come watch you every week, then they may go out and donate to your thing. And you don't even know how they got there, but they've been kind of lurking. You know, right. so that's kind of a hard part with social media. You, you just have to kind of watch, you know, are my numbers going up in general, which is what you were saying. Yes. As far as how much I was trying to raise, I set my goal at $3,000. And I figured by the time that I, I used Indiegogo, and by the time they'd taken their part, and by the time I paid my taxes on the amount of money that I raised, because you have to pay taxes on money that you raise through crowdfunding that I would probably get just a little over $2,000 of the 3,000 that I raised. And so I used that money to actually press the CDs. And yes, I am still pressing CDs. <laughs> <laughs> um, my demographic still really likes physical CDs. And I do a lot of live shows. And so people, at least my fans who come to live shows, like to be able to go home with something physical in their hand. So for me at this point, I am still pressing physical CDs. I know that's a question often that other artists ask me. Yeah, it is. It's a question that I ask people all the time on the show. And 90% of the time they say, absolutely, people still buy them at shows. And I just mailed one to Tennessee the other day. Hmm. Yep. You never know where so, they're, I mean, people still want the physical CD. Yeah. Yeah, I know I do. I like to have a physical CD. I'm a little different in that way. Sometimes I'm just overwhelmed by the number of CDs that I have because I used to be a collector. So I, I kind of now like the digital. But, but if I go to a show, I'll buy a CD because I want the memento. Mm -hmm. You know, it's different than just like, uh, oh, I'm going to buy a CD online or something. If I'm at a live event, I want to buy the CD. Right. So you've been a member of the Academy for six or seven months now. And I would love to hear... Now, kind of why you joined um, the Female Music Musician Academy and, you know, what, 
you like about it, what you, you know, learn on an ongoing basis and, you know, what you would say to people that are maybe thinking of joining. I joined back in December when you were doing, uh, it was a five-day planning exercise on Facebook. I don't remember what you called it. Yes, the Get More Done in Less Time Challenge. Yes, yes, that was it. And I am a sucker for anything about time management. (laughs) (laughs) That just sucks me in right away. Uh, And then so after having lurked for a week, because I actually wasn't all that involved in the online process, but I did the work at home. And so after having done that for the five days, uh, at the end, you mentioned the Academy and I thought, yeah, I want to try this out. Uh, Because I have a bad habit of signing up for a lot of online courses. And I thought that the Academy would be a good way to, to do that without signing up for every course that comes along because you have a lot of material in the academy and I sit down every week and I spend an hour going through some information in the academy. And so I'm able to do that throughout the year and get my, my new knowledge without signing up for new courses all the time. (laughs) That's awesome. That is so good to hear that you're using it weekly. And of course you're scheduling a time for it, which is important and, you know, I'm a big person for that because it's true that many of our members, like they don't take advantage of what they have there because they haven't scheduled time to actually do it. So I'm glad that you're doing that. Is there any, you know, section other than the time management portion that you really enjoyed in the Academy so far? Well, this is going to sound a little strange because you have it divided out into five sections, which is really handy. And part of why I would suggest no matter what level you're at in your career, you can go to, you can join the Academy and you can get information at your own level. So if you're just starting out, there's information for people who are just starting out, or if you're more advanced, uh, you can get information that's more advanced. But even though I'm in stage four right now of, the five stages, I started from the beginning and I learned a lot just about optimizing my pages and getting people to sign up for my list and all of those foundation things that I missed along the way. So I was able to go back and improve what I'm doing. And I've noticed a big difference with all of those changes. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that because I do think I do think that people, you know, are so excited to say like, oh my gosh, I'm at level three. I don't have to go back to these other things, but I'm glad to hear that people are going back. And I have heard it from more than just you and making sure that they don't have any holes in there that they need to fill because, you know, we all do things from the beginning differently. And maybe we didn't know what we were doing when we were starting out and we got lucky or, you know, some things works and some things weren't set up at all. And so, I think it's important to go back and kind of do it like like a checklist, like, okay, this is set up right, this is set up right, all that stuff. So that's that's really great to know. And I, you're really good at showing up to our um, monthly coaching calls and always having questions. And I think that's another thing too in the academy is that there's always a place to ask questions as they come up along the way, because no matter where you are in your career, you're going to be encountering new things and you're going to be having questions about them. Absolutely. And you are also very open to us saying, here's something I'd like to learn about. And you'll go out and find an expert and bring them in for one of our monthly sessions. 
Yeah, I love doing that. I love bringing in experts because I love learning. I'm like you. I'm a sucker for online courses, which is why I like creating them. <laughs> but, you know, I just love learning from experts too. So what would you say to somebody, you know, who's maybe on the fence about whether they should join? I would say that it is a really positive atmosphere with a lot of very positive women who will support you when you're having trouble and who will uh, celebrate your successes. And that is an amazing part beyond all of the great information that you can learn from, to have that support system and to have those people there who are going through the same thing or maybe have already gone through the same thing. Because sometimes our partners or whoever else we're working with don't entirely get it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much why I created it because we all feel so isolated as musicians. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that perspective. I really appreciate it for sure. Cause I love knowing that, you know, the hard work that I'm putting in is actually paying off and I love seeing it manifested in the careers of musicians. So, you know, with all this stuff you're doing, and I know you've got more, um, more streams of income too. I'd love to hear kind of what your streams of income are like as a full-time musician and how that breaks down. Because I think that really helps people listening to the show see like, oh, it, it can actually be done. And this, this is how I can bring this all together as a full-time musician. So I do a lot of teaching. I have a private studio with about 30 students in it. And then I also teach in some school programs. And then I have my performances. I book myself um, playing Celtic music. And I have all sorts of varieties of this group. I have a Celtic duo, which is just me and someone playing guitar. I have a four-piece Celtic band where we also do vocals. Um, I have my symphony performances. I have my early music performances. And then I also book myself out to weddings. I play classical, often classical music at weddings, and then also sometimes pops covers. And so my performances, it's a mix of concert series work, that's mostly in the summer, uh, private events, corporate events. I guess those are the big ones. And then, of course, there are the... Uh, CD sales and merch sales. I just got t-shirts with this CD and I'm really excited about them. And uh, I only bought very few because I wasn't sure how they would sell. And I actually sold out of a bunch of sizes within a week. Mm. Wow. Uh, so that was really exciting. I don't really count merch as an income stream because it costs me so much to record. Yeah. And it takes a long time to actually recoup that money, but it is a stream as far as there is money coming in through that. Uh, and this year I find that I've been making more online sales, which is really good. Um, in past years, I've sold, you know, like two CDs a year, two albums a year, whether it's digital or physical or whatever. And this year I've sold 14 albums online. I know that's not a huge number, but it's a huge increase from you know, two. It is. It is. Do you sell like a lot of individual tracks too? No, it's mostly albums. Hmm, interesting. And do you do any music licensing yet? No, not yet. 
I, I can only imagine that that's coming though, based upon the style of music you've got. It is. That was one of the plans with this CD as well, uh, because I took Michelle Lockie's course on licensing and realized that the way that I put music together is not really the way that um, music supervisors want music mm. because I like a lot of time changes. I like key changes uh, and that is not licensing friendly. <laughs> ah, so you'll have to be creating specifically for that if you go that direction or rearranging some things. Right. So this CD, when I was working with my producer, I told them that that's what I was interested in. And so we specifically, out of the 14 tracks on the CD, 12 of them, we really stuck to a single feel for each track. You know, like it does change. There's certainly dynamics within the track, so it's not exactly the same thing for the whole track, but the same kind of overall feel. And then there were two where I did my usual kind of creations with <laughs> the dramatic changes in the middle. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting how that's kind of a different mindset to, to write for music licensing, and that's probably why you have to take a course on it instead of just jumping in, right? Yes, yeah, there's so much that you wouldn't think about uh, as far as what it is they're actually looking for. Well, um, this has all been really helpful. I know that there are a lot of musicians out there that are maybe at the beginning of their, quote, five-year plan, and a lot of them, you know, haven't realized that it really is a five-year plan, and I, I totally believe in that five-year plan thing. Like, you can't just do it right away. I mean, I know I couldn't. You know, you have to, to figure out what's working for you, what's not working, and, and support yourself along the way so you can get there. And so the, all of this has been really helpful to help, help our listeners realize that they can do it. They just have to have patience and they have to have a plan. So thank you so much for sharing all this information. Let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and your music. The best way is to visit my website, which is katherinemoller.ca, and that's K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E-M-O-L-L-E-R.ca. And then from there, I have links to all of my social uh, pages as well. Perfect. And you guys should definitely check out her live show on her Facebook page because, you know, it'll give you an idea of, of what you can do for a live show and and how she sets that up. And she commits to a live show. Are you doing it weekly still? Yes, I am. Yeah. I mean, I know it's hard to do it weekly, but it, it really is worth it because that, you know, that consistency really does pay off in the end. So I have to take my hat off to her for keeping up with that. She's one of the only ones I know that sticks with the weekly schedule. So good job on that one. So thank you so much, Catherine. And um, I cannot wait for all of our listeners to hear this show. You're welcome. Thank you. Now go out and make great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business. Female Entrepreneur Musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com. With editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.